0: title of our message today that's found in Galatians chapter 6 is weariness the cause and the cure weariness the cause and the cure not quite two years ago we started this church and the Lord has done many things in the last couple of years he's done a lot in the last year that we've been together but we started about Two years ago, and what a thrill it is to see the Lord work in all of our lives in the way that He has. Having said that, I would have to say this, that pioneering a church is a lot of hard work. This is the seventh church I've been involved in pioneering from scratch, and what I found out in the very first one is that it's a lot of hard work. To start a church from scratch with people who haven't done it before is probably the hardest thing In the whole world. So I learned that the first time around. Then God called me to do it again. And you know what I learned the second time around? That starting a church from scratch with people that haven't done it before is probably the hardest thing in the whole world. The third time I learned the same lesson, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Now on number seven, I am convinced that starting a church from scratch with people that haven't done it before is, in fact, the hardest thing in the whole world. Now, the beautiful thing about it is that you're not alone in it, and God is with you. Other than that, it's the hardest thing in the whole world. And those of you that have been with us from the beginning now know that. Whatever it was you thought at the beginning, why it was you signed up, you now know that it's probably the hardest thing in the whole world. And may God bless you for hanging in there. What happens along the way is that there is a lot of hard work because so much of it is unexplored territory. And as soon as you get Christians moving into areas they haven't been before, the road gets bumpy. you got to sit down, strap in, because there's turbulence coming. How many of you have ever been on an airplane when you hit turbulence? If it's your first time, it's pretty scary, isn't it? So here you are, you're biting your nails, you're clinging your other fingernails on the other hand into the wrist of the person next to you, and there you are, and you're just, and you think immediately it's going down because it's bumpy. Meanwhile, you see a couple of flight attendants back by the coffee pot, and they're just laughing and telling jokes. They're not ruffled by it at all. Why? They've been through it so many times. But it can be difficult. And so I know that it has been very difficult for some of you. For those of you that are new, you just assume that it was always like this, and we're always laughing and smiling, and that everything's always been so blessed. But it hasn't always been that way. No doubt some of you have in fact grown weary along our journey. The intent of this message is to encourage you. In Galatians 6-9, we have our text today, where Paul the Apostle writes, and he says, let us not grow weary while doing good. The old King James renders it in well-doing. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now let me read Galatians 6, 9 to you from the New International Version. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Ah, that makes it very clear, doesn't it? If we do not give up. There are many failures we experience in the Christian life. Many failures that somebody who's very, if I could use this term, very successful in the Christian life, who makes it all the way to the end and and adheres to all the things that are true and right and godly, there's still going to be many failures even in that life. And along the way, there is the tendency to give up. In fact, the easiest thing in the world is to give up. Here you are following the Lord, here you are serving the Lord, and suddenly there is the tendency or the temptation to give up. And so the easiest thing in the world is to give up. So Paul writes to the church at Galatia, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Have you failed at something in the last year? Have you felt like giving up when you failed? Perhaps you need to hear this. Hear about this young man and how easy it would have been for him to give up. He failed in business in 31. He was defeated for the legislature when he ran for it in 32. He was elected to the legislature in 34. His sweetheart died in 35 and he had a nervous breakdown the next year in 36. He was defeated for Speaker in 38. He was defeated for Elector in 40. was defeated for Congress in 43. He was elected to Congress in 46. Defeated for Congress in 48. Defeated for Senate in 50. Defeated for Vice President in 56. And f- defeated for the Senate in 58. Fortunately, he was elected President In 1860, and do you know his name, Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln stands on the pages of our history in this country to prove to us that failure need not be permanent. Failure need not be permanent. And thus, it really isn't cause for giving up. Charles Simeon ministered to me much this week as I was poring over these scriptures he wrote these words, he said, there will be a harvest to all who labor in God's field. It may not come so soon as we would desire, but it shall come as the earthly harvest in due season. We must, however, wait God's appointed time. If we faint, we shall lose all that we have before been working for. But if we continue patiently and well-doing, we will succeed at last. It's possible to be working along, to be serving along in the Lord, to faint right in the middle of it, drop the ball, walk off the field, and lose what you were, in fact, working for. But if we stick in there with the Lord, we trust the Lord in due season, we will, in fact, reap. We have God's promise on it. So here is this whole idea of weariness and well-doing. I want to give you the outline of where we're going now. Four things. First of all, there is the fact that there is a condition that exists. It's the condition of weariness. Secondly, there are pitfalls, and I'll just touch on these as we move through. Pitfalls of weariness we need to watch for. Third, there is the reasons for weariness. And fourth, there is the cure for weariness. Obviously, we can't go in depth on all these things. In fact, I could preach the rest of the day on weariness, its pitfalls, and all of these other things, but we'll gather this together and see how much we can find to encourage us in the time that we have. And if you're in this condition of weariness today, then it's not an accident that you're here, that you came through the freezing temperatures, that you're seated where you are, and the Lord is now about to speak to your condition. It's not an accident. It's the hand of God. To begin with, the condition of weariness. Now, sometimes the problem is not spiritual weariness, but rather it's spiritual laziness. There are those who become weary from doing nothing rather than from doing good. And sometimes the problem is spiritual hypocrisy, hearing and talking about serving the Lord, but doing very little of it. That would be those that that hear the word, but they're not doers of the word. We're not talking about those people today. We're not talking about lazy people. We're not talking about spiritual hypocrites. We're talking about those that grow weary while doing good in the service of the Lord. We're talking about those who are doing the right thing. They're not going astray. There isn't any false doctrine. They're not falling into this or that that's wrong. In fact, if you look at the individual's life, it seems that everything is absolutely just fine. That's what we're talking about. The person who's doing all the right things for all the right reasons, and suddenly they come upon this whole condition of weariness. What happens is that people just become wearied and tired, still going in the right direction. So you're still on the right road. You're still facing the right way. You're still moving in the right direction, but all of a sudden, your hands begin to hang down. You start to shuffle down the straight and narrow, and this person that just seems so bubbly for so long, suddenly is just not like that anymore. And you bump into them, you know something's wrong, and so do they. They know that they are becoming weary. And it's possible at that point to simply give up. I read this story about a man who used to stand on the street corner and hand out tracts And this story caught my attention because I came to know Jesus Christ reading a little booklet about Jesus Christ. I came to know him with no one around, just a little booklet there. So this story spoke to me. It was a man who used to stand on a street corner and give out gospel tracts, and finally he wasn't seeing a lot of visible results, and so he finally just gave up. And he went along in his life for two years, not really doing anything. Two years later, he came back to that corner. And he saw a man standing there handing out gospel tracts. He went up to him and began to speak to him. The man striking up the conversation with him shared with him that the reason he was on this corner is that two years before someone was standing there giving out gospel tracts. And he had given him a gospel track, he read it, and had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He then explained that for months and months and months he returned to this corner to meet the man and thank him for the fact that his whole life had changed because of his efforts there, and yet the man did not return. He said, finally, I kept coming and I, I just came to the conclusion that evidently this individual had died and that he was never coming back. He said, so now I stand here in his place and I give out gospel tracts. He says, why is it that you are here today? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm the man that was here. And he became encouraged. And once again, he was found after that back at his post, giving out gospel tracts as well. You see, you can be doing the right thing and become weary right in the middle of it. It's a weariness that comes in the process of doing what is right. George Whitfield was a great productive man who preached in the 1700s in England. God used him in a mighty way to bring a great awakening, not only in England, but in America. And there was a time as his life went on that he recorded in his journal this entry. Simply these words, Lord, I am weary in your work, but I am not weary of it. That's the right attitude. To understand that you're going to get tired in his work, even though you're not tired of his work. It's not that you want to leave him or you really would like to leave his work. It's just beginning to realize this is a condition that can come upon any one of us. So the condition of weariness. Let's go to the pitfalls. There are some very basic pitfalls I'd like to draw to your attention. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The first pitfall, and very simple, is to just come to the place where you quit, and then in doing so, avoid any further weariness. All you have to do is simply drop out. Do you remember studying your Bible in the book of Acts? Paul the Apostle was on a journey One of the workers that was with him was a young man by the name of John Mark. The Bible tells us in Acts 15.36 that they were about to go on another journey. And there... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had, here's what it says, deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So at that point in John Mark's life, he obviously became weary. Here's a group, here's a team, and there's so much work to be done, and suddenly John Mark just says, you know what, I'm out of here. And the terminology that Paul uses is that he deserted them. I'm certain he had become weary in well-doing. It's one of the pitfalls to then simply quit. I found it curious that this statement that Paul wrote to the Galatian church about not becoming weary is not isolated to the Galatian church. It's something that he wrote to other churches. In fact, I think it's something he was sharing all the time. In 2 Thessalonians 3.13, he wrote these words, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. It's the exact same statement. The NIV renders 2 Thessalonians 3.13, And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. So the same idea. The same ministry. Why? Because he understood how it could happen to anybody. It's interesting to me that he writes that, that encouragement to the church in Thessalonica. Then later on, at the end of his life, he writes these words about an individual who had dropped out. Second Timothy 4.10, he says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Guess where he went? He deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. You see the connection? He writes earlier to the church, make sure you're not weary in well-doing. Later on, when he gets to the very end of his life, and of all times, when he needs help, when he needs support, when he needs that assistant there, at his side, ministering to his needs as an advancer of the gospel kingdom, this man just deserts him. And he goes to Thessalonica. You see, here is the connection. Here is the idea that anybody can come to this place to simply quit And in the process, avoid further weariness. There is another pitfall, and that is, I think, more dangerous. Quitting is so overt, it's so obvious. There's another pitfall I think is more dangerous, and that is simply to resign yourself to accept the weariness as a permanent condition. That here I am. You know, in the beginning, I was so fired up. I was so excited. And now, you know, things are moving along and I'm not as excited as I used to be. The enjoyment that I used to have is gone and obviously it's gone forever. You know how we think in terms sometimes of always and never? Well, you can get to that point where the excitement is gone and you think, well, I'm just never going to get it back. And therefore, I just need to soldier on. I need to trudge. I need to just keep going, though I don't have the hope that I once did, though I don't have the excitement that I once did, that's just the way it is, and so I'm going to soldier on as best I can. Basically, at that point, coming to a stoic resignation, as it were. It's not going to be any fun anymore. I'm not going to be blessed anymore. I'm not going to learn anything anymore. I'm just going to soldier on because I'm a Christian, That, I believe, is probably the most dangerous thing of all. There's an old saying, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? See, at that point, you have bought into a deception. That just because you went through all the ABCs and you were so excited about them, the generalities of the Christian life, all of which were very new and very wonderful in the very beginning, Just because you exhausted your experience of the basics, you now believe there's nothing beyond basics. That is a fallacy. And that is where a lot of people end up. They resign themselves to weariness, and basically the thought becomes this, the golden hours have passed. The great days in the Christian life for me belong to my past. I may never know that again, but I'll just keep soldiering on are you there today if you're there guess what you're not the first person who's ever been there you have succumbed to one of the pitfalls of weariness the first of which is to simply quit walk off the field and not return the second of which is to resign yourself to the fact that it's going to be like this and you're going to be weary always and that is not true The third pitfall is to recognize now that you're weary and then to seek to do something about it through an effort of the flesh. That would be artificial stimulants. I liken it to this. You have an individual who is all fired up. He's young and he's full of dreams and visions and he wants to start his own business. So he does. And he puts in all that hard work, all that time, all that energy to get it off the ground, to start from nothing, to build up something. And he gets to the point where it's a success. The years, however, have been rolling by. And now that he's successful, and now that he's productive, and now that he has a flourishing business, he suddenly realizes that he doesn't have the energy to maintain the business that he had when he started it. So what to do? The business must go on. It must continue to flourish. What to do? How to get that bit of energy? To just give him a boost to keep... Keep it going forward. And so he turns to artificial stimulants. There comes that afternoon when he's tired. When he sits down, he pours himself a drink. Surely alcohol will give him a boost. And he finds he gets a boost. It's not so bad. It it got him, wow, at the end of a hard day, it just seems so soothing, so relaxing. And so he goes and he has a boost and a boost and a boost. And one day after the next goes by and more than one man has ended up a drunkard that never started out with a goal one day on his calendar, says, this is the day you began your journey to become a drunk. More than one man's ended up an alcoholic who simply was looking for artificial stimulants to get him through, to make up for the energy that he doesn't have anymore because he's simply grown older. He became weary along the way. You know something? I see that that happens in the natural world and our natural existence with individuals, but I see it happens in the church in a spiritual sense. You'll have leaders of the church who go along and they're fired up. And people are falling along and they're fired up and everybody's moving forward. And then you hit a season that sort of starts to feel drab. And because things are feeling drab and it kind of remains that way for a while, now the leaders start to grope for artificial stimulants to stimulate the people. So what do you do? If you're in that position, you reach out then. If you're deceived to artificial stimulants, which would be programs. And is there any lack of programs for churches ever? In the time you've been a Christian, have you ever seen a lack for programs? Or how about this? They reach out for artificial stimulants in this way. There's a new fad coming through the church. There's a new wind of doctrine blowing through. And everybody's excited about it. Have you read this new fiction book? It will change your life. And everybody's passing it around. Artificial stimulant. Mark it. Watch for it. And there it is, soaring up on the top of the bestseller list, and everybody's reading it, not realizing it. You know what? About every five years, a book comes through like that. About every five, ten years, a, a fad comes through the body of Christ. So things were feeling a little drab and the Toronto blessing broke out in Toronto. And the next thing you know, everybody's getting their holy laughter and their shot of the Holy Spirit, getting drunk on the Spirit in church. And they're barking like dogs and meowing like cats in the aisles. And, and friends are driving friends home because they're too drunk in the Holy Spirit. That was the whole holy laughter movement, the Toronto blessing as it was called. In fact, it was the Toronto curse. And it took its toll on many lives. Artificial stimulants, they're always swirling around the church, whether it's a program, or whether it's a book, or whether it's a new doctrine that offers the shortcut back to the exciting life. That offers that new experience that's going to give you that thing that you seem to be lacking now. You know what it does? It makes the whole problem worse. Because artificial stimulants are not the answer. Resigning yourself to weariness is not the answer. Quitting is not the answer. These things only make the problem worse. The condition, it's called weariness. The pitfalls, we've just seen them. That then leads us to a third thing. The reasons for weariness. How is it that people come to grow weary while doing good? Well, let me give you something that is very, very simple, but in fact profound. People come to grow weary while doing good because they're simply physically overworked. Probably not the first place you'd go for the answer. Probably not the first place you'd go for the reason as to why. But very often that is in fact the case for, in reality, a handful of people do all the work in a church. Always in a church you have this handful of people who are the current ones, I call them. They're all lit up for God. I say current ones because people come and go from that cluster of people. It's always a handful of people that do most of the work. In the business world, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That is a known fact. Google it. You'll find it to be true after church. It's the same in business. It's the same in the church. What happens then is that people get overworked. You have these wonderful individuals who have these great hearts before God and they're doing the right things for the right reasons, but now they're picking up the slack doing the work that others should be doing as well and they simply become overworked. You remember when Elijah the prophet fled from Jezebel and he ended up suicidal under a broom tree? How did he get to that place? Do you ever think about it? If you back up in 1 Kings 18, you'll find out he, he was having a horrible time with Ahab. King Ahab was just an awful, evil person, giving Elijah just the worst time in the kingdom. So he's battling it out with Ahab, and then finally everything culminates on Mount Carmel where they gather together the false prophets of Baal, and they face off on Mount Carmel, and this thing goes on all day long. There's hundreds of false prophets, and there's thousands of people from Israel that gather there. And Elijah is one man. He squares off with the false prophets and they go through the whole thing. Their God doesn't show up. Elijah's God does. But by the end of the day, they're killing, they're executing the false prophets. It is a long, hard day. And by the end of the day, he runs like the wind to another town to get there ahead of Ahab. And then he has slipped a note from Jezebel that says, May God do so to me as you've done to these false prophets if I don't kill you immediately. And reading the note, he takes off and he runs out into the middle of the desert and collapses under a broom tree. And there he is and he wants to die. Now, I understand how he got that way. The man is overworked. He's physically overworked. That's why if you read on in the account, you find the solution is he, he falls asleep and suddenly an angel wakes him up. And the angel has grill going there and he's got some food going. He's, he's making some fresh angel food cake and then. He's got some bottled water. He has an assortment of choices. Fuji, Avian, you know, all the really good ones. And he says, wake up. You need to have some food and some drinks. So he wakes up. He has a little snack. He eats. He drinks. And then he goes back to sleep. And then he's nudged again. He wakes up. So what happens is he sleeps, he eats, he drinks. He sleeps, he eats, he drinks. He gets refreshed. Then he moves on. Life goes on with Elijah. What was wrong? He was physically overworked. Never forget this. Spiritually speaking, rest is a weapon. Rest is a weapon. Don't neglect to use it. Simply overworked physically is one of the reasons for weariness and well-doing. Another reason is doing spiritual work with carnal energy. You know what I mean by that? Here you are just churning away at a task that you're not gifted to do. So you don't have the divine activity of God moving in you and through you because he's gifted you in this way. Rather, you're doing it because someone needs to do it. You're not really gifted to do it. And so you're trying to do it with fleshly resources and you get very tired very quickly. Doing spiritual work with carnal energy will not support you for the long run. You can't do it. You have to come to grips with it. Another reason for spiritual weariness is doing spiritual work for self-glory. There are those that are, that are in the ministry because they want the glory. They want people to see them. They want people to notice them. Here, do you see how wrong the motive is? Does God bless someone who's serving in the ministry for self-glory? Is that where you're under the spout where the glory comes out? No. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you do what you do for self-glory, for attention from others, you're going to wear yourself out. A fourth reason for weariness is doing spiritual work for self-preservation. This one's probably the least thought of. That is when you have an individual who says, I need this. I really need this. You see, if I, if I don't do this, I don't know what I would do. Self-preservation. You're not doing it for the glory of God. You're not doing it because you're gifted and it's like a volcano welling up inside of you. Whoa, I just can't hold myself back. Got to serve, got to bless. You're not like that. You're doing it because, well, there's nothing else. And if I don't have this, what will I have? If I don't have this, I'll have no identity. I must have an identity with the brethren. If I don't have an identity, I don't. what will I have? I have, oh. And so there you are and you wonder why with the passing of time you become so weary. And after a while you don't even like it anymore. You're only doing it because what would I do if I didn't do that? If you're in that place today, it is time to back up, drop to your knees, get alone with God and let him reboot you spiritually and let him begin to lead you forward which takes us to the cure for weariness. We've seen the condition, the pitfalls, the reasons. Let's go to the cure for weariness. In Galatians 6.9, Paul writes, he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The cure is, it begins with this, to realize that there are certain phases of development in the Christian life. Certain phases of development. So that each phase has its own peculiar feelings and its own peculiar experiences. And some phases are more difficult than other phases. You have to get that deeply entrenched in your mind. There are phases. To ignore that is to simply set yourself up to become really weary. There are phases and some are harder than others. And I would say that in particular... The hardest phase of all is the middle phase. The middle phase. Let me use a parallel illustration. Humanly speaking, there is the time when you're born, you're a little toddler, you run around, actually you run everywhere when you're young. You start to run when you're a toddler, you keep on running until you're a teen. And after that, you get into your 20s and you slow down and you just stop running around everywhere. So your energy begins to dissipate and you go on, you keep going, you hit your 30s, and not everybody agrees on the exact age, but the general agreement on what middle age is for the human being is somewhere from 40 to 60. Before that, you're young. After that, you're old. Middle age is right in the middle, 40 to 60. Middle age, for most people, is the hardest because of a variety of reasons mainly because as i've alluded to even earlier you're running out of energy fast and once it starts to go it's moving right along so that one of the things you notice right around 40 is um oh wow my eyes just must be tired can't see, uh, can't seem to focus today oh well it'll pass it always does you know and then the day comes when it doesn't pass and it gets worse. And you live in denial for as long as you can. And finally, you, hello, yes, I need to make an appointment. Well, I don't know. It's probably nothing. But, uh, and you walk out with your new glasses an hour later, lens crafter. The middle period is very hard for people. You have all these hopes and dreams that you had up front. You had all the newness of life, and you were going to change the whole world, and some of those dreams did not get realized. You have the disappointments that are very real. You have the changing of your body. Middle age can be very, very difficult for people. Well, I think that in in many ways, it's similar in the Christian life. You come to the Lord. Everything's exciting. The first thing that is so exciting is that huge burden is lifted called sin. It's very real and very exciting, isn't it? You've been carrying that burden along for so long. You're born again, and that's how you know you're really born again. When suddenly, boom, it's lifted. And in its place, there's the warmth of God's Spirit coming into your heart. That's called being born again. wow. It is so wonderful. The burden's lifted. And you just go around telling everybody. They see you, and they say, whoa, what's up with you? You're all smiles today. The burden's lifted. What are you talking about? I'm born again. Uh Uh-oh. Stand back. You know, and you don't mind what their reaction is. All you know is the burden's lifted. You want to tell everybody. And you're like that. You're so excited. You get a Bible. Oh, you're turning all the pages. Woo, they're made of gold. Somebody might steal it. This is valuable. And you really believe it is valuable. And you start to read it. You read your Bible. Everything's new. You go to a Bible study. Oh, yes, pastor. Everything speaks to me. Jesus is coming back. I had no idea. Woo. Oh, my gosh. You see, it's all new. And it's all exciting. That's the early period. And then you go along and you get used to all those things. And they're not exciting anymore. The thing that you thought would never wear off wears off oh my gosh, uh-oh, uh-oh I'm not, I'm not excited anymore the middle period it's hard some of you are there right now you've been walking with the Lord for a number of years and everything was exciting and then it started to not be so exciting anymore and now you're looking at your life and you're thinking oh my gosh John 3.16 doesn't sizzle me anymore and, oh, it was so great for so long. And what am I going to do now? I fell asleep in a sermon. You know? I have your names right here. <laughs> you can see it's a long list, isn't it? And you understand what I'm talking about? Nothing seems to be happening. There doesn't seem to be any huge change or advancement When the trials hit, you're not carried along by that initial momentum and enthusiasm as you were in the early stages and at the beginning. Understand this and listen closely. There are seasons, there are phases, and they're not the same. What you do with the phase is everything. You don't just let the phase happen and cave in. What you do with the phase, what you do is everything. And understanding that this actually is a reality is the beginning of it all. You see, there are seasons where God isn't doing all these drastic outward changes in your life. You know, in the beginning, you stop this, you get off that, you were hooked on this, you're freed from that. And it's just, oh. And then you hit the middle period, and you don't have all these dramatic changes. And so you you start to panic. Well, where'd he go? Where'd he go? What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Very often, he's working on humility. He's gone from the outward and all these things to the inward. He's working on you. You want to see the big sizzling changes that you saw in the beginning. Now he's working on you. What, humility? Yes, humility. There are seasons in your life where he's working on humility, not these outward lively graces. And it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. Charles Simeon put it like this. He said, there are seasons when we grow rather in humility than in the more lively graces. But if we neither shoot our branches upward nor our roots downward, it will be ill with us. We must keep growing either way. And that's what I would say to you today. Identify there are certain phases in your Christian development and that there are periods that are more difficult and that perhaps in those periods God is working deep down inside of you, not on the things that are all outward. And that is very real. And as you do that, then be mindful of a second thing, that there is, in fact, certain goodness in the Christian life. And a lot of that is found in the details of the Bible. You know, I think what happens to a lot of people is that, is that they hear so many sermons that are just so general, that in the beginning they're dazzled with all of it, because it's all new. But you just go around the circle, it takes only a certain amount of years, and maybe four years, maybe five, whatever, you go around the circle until you've heard it all. Now it's all coming back at you, and it's, it's all general. And what happens then is you, you just start to be bored. The details that are found in the Bible are waiting for you to excite you in a newer way, in a fresh way, that is now that you're now actually ready for. It isn't until the middle period that you really are ready for the details. When Charles Spurgeon was going on in age, he was asked, How about your Bible? You've been preaching it all these years. How do you feel about it now? Probably it's not so exciting to you anymore. He said, On the contrary, I have found that my Bible broadens and deepens with the years. Brethren, that's what I'm talking about. You're ready for the details when you come to the middle period. And and that's when just um, the ABCs isn't going to thrill you anymore. It's time to go on and grow up in Christ. It's time to dig into the meat of the word. And that's when you need to look for the details. And the details about our God in the Bible are endless. Endless. so you turn to look for the certain goodness in the Christian life that is there in your own Bible looking in the details, that means you probably are going to read your Bible slower than you used to. When it comes to reading, I can read a novel in five days, a 700 page novel. When it comes to reading my Bible, sometimes I'll go five verses and it takes me all day because of what I'm getting out of it, because of what I'm seeing. You understand? I've become a slow reader I used to blaze through commentaries, preparing for sermons. Now it takes me forever. Because, well, what did he mean by that? Why did he say this? What am I missing? And I start to find out why and what. And I'll tell you what, it's exciting. You know, it's almost like when you fall in love. You know, you meet somebody, and you walk into the room, and boom. My heart went boom when I crossed that room, and I held her hand, in my got your attention back. That's love at first sight. You know what's better than love at first sight? Love at first sight is great, isn't it? You know what's better than that? Love with insight. And in the middle period, it becomes love with insight. You look for the details about your God, the details that are so winsome, the details that you were never ready to see before, but you're ready to see them now. And so you look for the goodness that is waiting there for you. Be not weary in Well-doing. Be not weary in doing good, but focus on the fact that the good is truly good. I would say this to you today. Rediscover the good of the good that you do. Why you do it and who you do it for. It is a life of goodness. And realize it's a life that the Son of God Himself chose to live. Be not weary in well-doing. Look at the life of Jesus. Where is Jesus' personal life? Well, He's got a condo up there in Galilee on the water. And, you know, he goes up there about six months out of the year. And then he has another townhouse right in old Jerusalem there. And then he's got a cottage that's out there on the way to Egypt and so on and so on. And occasionally he shows up at the temple in Jerusalem, gives a few lectures, and then he's gone. You don't find anything like that with Jesus. There's a statement that's fascinating in the Gospels that says, and every it's at the end of a long day. And it says, and everybody went to their own house. And then this. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, to the garden, threw out a sleeping bag, slept under the olive trees. Why does it say that? He didn't have an apartment. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a condo. Everything in his life was all about the Father. He lived his life in well doing. Be we not weary in well-doing. In due season we will reap if we faint not. This is the life the Son of God Himself chose to live. And I think of everything that we've looked at so far, this is one of the most marvelous to contemplate. In Matthew 20, verse 28, we read, Just as the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve, He said, and to give His life a ransom for many. First John 2, 6 says, He who abides in Him ought himself so to walk, just as he walked. It's a privilege. It's the privilege of following him. And if you understand that when it comes to God, God doesn't have any difficulties. The difficulties that we perceive are in our head. If we follow God we walk as he walked, God will take care of the difficulties. And thus we are less likely to be weary. Understand there are certain phases of development. They're very real. Understand there is certain goodness that is there. And this is the life that the very Son of God Himself chose to go about doing good. And understand you will reap if you do not faint. Understand this. this, The harvest is certain. The fruit of your labors is certain. Put your life into the context of eternity as you serve the Lord. I think often we're just too busy looking at checking our pulse, seeing how we feel physically, and we get our eyes off where we're going and where this is leading us all. Get your eyes onto eternity. In due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. In Proverbs eleven eighteen, 18, it says, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure Reward, and that is now and in the life to come. Let me quote Charles Simeon again to you. He said, Shall not an eternity of happiness be thought worth our focus here during the short period of our human life? Then he said, Do any that are now in glory regret the pains they bestowed to get there? Let us be followers of them, and we shall soon participate with their bliss. End quote. What great statements. Do you think there's anybody in heaven right now who regrets the effort that it took to get there? Absolutely not. We will follow along with them and soon be there with them. That is a healthy thought to understand that the reward is there in heaven. And God has pledged himself to reward us. God has pledged himself to reward us. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God has pledged himself. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I'm reading from the NIV, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And let us remember our Lord Jesus Christ. What was his secret? He looked to the joy that was set before him, didn't he? In Hebrews 12:2 it says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary. And discouraged in your souls. He looked to the joy that was set before him. He looked to the throne of God. That was his secret. And I think we need to do the same thing. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're on our way to share with him. It's very real. It's not pie in the sky. There are those that have written songs and they mock us as Christians. They call it paradise. Paradise. When it's just pie in the sky, like we're dreamers. We're not dreamers. We're people who believe the truth as God has revealed it. I want to pull this all together and show you where we're going. This is where we're going. This is where we'll ultimately reap. And we need to be mindful that we're on our way there every day, that we're still here serving the Lord. Turn in your Bible to Revelation 22, verse 1. Here is the joy that is set before us. Jesus looked to the joy that was set before him. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we read in our Bibles in the book of Revelation and he showed me a pure river of water of life. Revelation twenty-two one, Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of its street. You see where we're going? Wherever else we're going whatever else happens in heaven we're going to where the throne of God is. Jesus looked to the joy that was set before him and then he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. We are going to the place where there is a river, pure, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the lamb. Verse 2, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. "...which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse but the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads." Verse 5, "...and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun." For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. No street lights because the light comes from God himself. We will share in God's life. We will share in the glory. It's so Marvelous. It's so godly, and yet there's this human element to it. There's fruit trees along the avenue that are refreshing and pleasing, bearing all kinds of fruit. There is God Himself there. And so, in every way, we're going to reap, in every way, we're going to be rewarded. You know what our problem is? We live in a society that has run out of patience. It's got to be right now, or I'm upset. We've come to a society that has run out of patience. Years ago, the Puritan John Brown wrote these words. He said, many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. End quote. Are you like that? I think sometimes we are like that. You remember that first time you ever got a hold of some seed? Your mom or your dad was out there in the garden, and they were planting, and then you came along, and you... Jammed your seed down in there, got it sloppy seeds all over everywhere, maybe one down, and you covered it up, you patted it with, you know, a mountain of earth, and then you stood back and you watched it. You remember that? You watched it and you, you were upset when it didn't, well, when's it gonna, when's it gonna grow? You have to have patience, my little darling. It's going to pop through in a few weeks, and then it'll be very slow at first. I wanna see it now! Well, you know what? A lot of us are still like that! After all these years. Well, Lord, I've been sowing all week. I want to see fruit now. Many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. And it's easy then in that state to become tired of sowing and anxious for the harvest. May God help us to look to the joy that is set before us that will last forever. This life is so very brief and it doesn't last very long at all. And for those of you that are older than 20, you now see the years beginning to fly past, don't you? Those of you that are older than 30, notice somebody hit a button and there's an acceleration that has taken place. Those of you that have passed 40, now realize somebody hit the gas pedal and you're really flying along. Those of you that have passed 50, wonder what just happened in the last five minutes with the last year. Who took it? Where did it go? Before we know it, we're going to be there with him forever. And there isn't anybody there that regrets the effort they made here. In Joshua nine, Joshua had stepped up to take over for Moses. Can you imagine taking over in Moses' place? And in Joshua nine, he said, speaking for the Lord, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous and do not be terrified and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If you have been with us for the last couple of years and you've gone through a lot, you've seen spiritual warfare that was previously unknown to you and it caught you off guard and you're all in a tizzy about it, realize that it's normal. If you've been with us and you've seen hard work that you've never really plunged yourself into before and now you're getting weary, realize it is normal. If you've been doing something uh, spiritual in the the arm of the flesh and you're now weary, realize you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Stop it. And all of us need to stop and look at where we've been and where we're going. And then still our hearts before the Lord. Be still and know that He is God. And then understand He speaks in a still, small voice. If you've been in a ministry because I need something and that's your identity, stop it. Get before the Lord and let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord begin to lead you. And he may, in fact, in a new phase, lead you in a new direction. But whatever else you do, get before the Lord. That's where the refreshment is. That's where the blessing is. That is the solution to being weary in well-doing. Sometimes the good that we've been doing for a long time needs to be handed off to somebody else, and we need to go on doing good in a new way. Sometimes we just need to stop and sleep like Elijah and let the Lord feed us. And you know what? That's, at that point, that is the most spiritual thing you can do. Now, please, don't all of you drop out and take a break for the next six months because we had this sermon. There's always a tendency to do that as well. You that need to rest and seek the Lord, do it. And you that haven't been doing anything, it's time to ante up and kick in. And start doing something. Whoa, did he really say that? You bet I did. Let me say it again. Those of you that haven't been doing anything, how could you be weary when the rest of us have been weary there and back again and working it through with the Lord? A church is a family. A church is a team effort. A church is bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ in that way. And when one gets weary, the others lock arms. It's all right, you chill. We'll carry you for a while. That's how we do it. And we do it with the sufficiency of the life of God in our souls. Any other way is going to wear us out. And I don't know about you, but I love the Lord's work. And I love watching what he's doing. And if I find myself weary, I know what I need to do. I need to find my prayer closet and find out what the Lord would say to me in that time. I hope that today is a part of that process for you. I want to close with a prayer that I'm going to read from this book right here. I'm too weary now to pray. I'm just kidding. This book is called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions, and it's getting a little tattered. I really do like this book, because when my prayers seem a little too feeble, I like to stand on the shoulders of some spiritual genius. Coming to the year's end, this is a prayer called New Year. I want to read this prayer, and when I get done, then I'm going to say amen after that. So you bow your head and agree with me as I read this prayer to the Lord And this is how we'll close our time together. O Lord, length of days does not profit me except the days are passed with you, in your presence, in your service, and for your glory. Give me a grace that precedes, follows, guides, sustains, and sanctifies and aids every hour, that I may not be one moment apart from you, but may rely on your Spirit to supply every thought, word, step, direction, All the work I do, that you, by your Spirit, would build up my faith. Give me a desire to show forth your praise, testify of your love, and advance your kingdom. I launch my ship upon unknown waters this year. With you, O Father, as my harbor, O Son, at my helm, O Holy Spirit, filling my sails. Guide me to heaven with my loins girt, my lamp burning and my ear open to your calls my heart full of love and my soul free give me your grace father to sanctify me your comforts to cheer your wisdom to teach your right hand to guide and your counsel to instruct your law to judge and your presence to stabilize me and may i be filled with the fear of the lord which is the awe of god and your triumphs, O oh Lord, may they be my joy. And Lord, may your joy be our strength. For we do ask it with great expectation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.